This summer, we're going to look at how this culture of life hack has and can creep into church life and trick us into thinking that there are actual shortcuts, there are simple procedures that will enable us to become and look like and sound like Christ or to have real meaningful community and real relationships. There are things that we have believed in the church that kind of are in that life hack. We think it's doing something, but it's actually working against us in all kinds of different ways. And, and part of the struggle is that the church is very guilty around um, misleading people to think that it's possible. So some examples in my lifetime, uh, I'm 43. When I first started in pastoral ministry, there was a whole movement around the 40 days of purpose, 40 days in the Word, 40 days of this and 40 days of that, as if somehow at the end of that 40-day program, I am going to be a mature follower of Jesus Christ. Or my favorite one is like 21 days of transformation. I've been kind of living on the earth now for 43 years uh, 20, so, 20 or so of those years, like real meaningful relationships with Christ has been my goal. And I don't know how many times I've tried some weird 21 days of transformation and I'm continuing to be transformed uh, every day as I follow Christ uh, by and through the Spirit that lives inside of, me, inside of me. This morning, we want to address kind of how hacks can and have get played out in church life. And and this morning's conversation is really around our gatherings for worship. Because when we gather, Christians, the ones who have made decisions to follow Christ, when we gather to worship, we're gathering in the hopes of having a meaningful encounter with the living God. We get up on a Sunday morning or Saturday night or whatever night it is that we're gathering for worship. The hope is that our life would be touched by God, that God would speak to us, that our hearts would be revealed, that areas of brokenness would be restored, that kind of relationships that we walk in that are strained, that those would be healed. Like there are real, tactile, meaningful things that shape us when we come into the house of the Lord to worship together as a body of believers. And I know that somebody like, well, I can do some of this on my own. I know that we can have encounters with God by ourselves in a field somewhere. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about expressions of worship like this. When we come together in a building or in a field with a whole lot of people, we are coming together to celebrate, to lift high the name of Christ that we might hear from and be shaped by His Spirit for His glory and that my life would be changed in those encounters. And so the church hack is, that's what we want, so we will simplify how we get there. And churches are really masters at this. And, and I know we've taken our lead from kind of the entertainment kind of business, so to speak. But we work hard at creating environments that are ultimately like manipulated environments, hoping that the, we would see these kinds of encounters. We have the right lighting. We have the right smoke machines. During COVID, it's, it's hilarious. There's a business in the States that actually, uh, so the advertisement went, um, that this fog machine had COVID-19 killing agents in the fog machine so that you could worship God safely. Like, just think on this for a moment. Like, like hey, buy this. You can... Anyway, just bizarre how churches kind of short-circuit and create hacks all to create environments where we would have meaningful encounters. And, and one of the ones that is deeply bothersome to me that I see get played out in churches is when prayer becomes a prayer, it's a strategy to grow your church. 
Churches that short-circuit what prayer is and what it's for, when it becomes a thing that we do because it's what we want to do to grow our church, and we Twitter it, we advertise it, we Instagram it, and we're just showing off how much we pray, Jesus speaks very firmly into this heart in Matthew 6 and says, this isn't at all what this is supposed to be. Churches historically have not really been about that Churches lately are trying to short-circuit all of the things that really do bring about meaningful encounters with the living God. I want to read you some passages of Scripture that really speaks to this this idea, the reality that there is no hack to short-circuit or to shortcut the process of having encounters with the living God. Because it ultimately speaks to a heart that is required for these things and these moments to unfold in our lives. First passage, this is in Jeremiah 33. And I want you to hear the dynamic of the heart. So often we read the Scriptures like word for word, kind of like letter for letter, but I want you to see the heart that's being revealed through the passages that I'm going to walk you through this morning. Jeremiah 33.3 Call to Me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. This is God speaking to His people saying, call out to Me, and I will answer you. It begins with this disposition of, I want to hear from God. I want to know that He's present. I want to know that He's involved in my life. Call out to Me, and you will hear from Me. And then He goes on, and I will tell you things that are unsearchable, things that you do not know. And in my life, through the course of its 43 years, there have been real moments where there's this, been this authentic cry, I want to hear from, I need to hear from, because I'm in a space that doesn't make sense, I need help, I need direction, and all of a sudden God begins to reveal these unsearchable things that I do not know that walk me in life in ways that are amazing and wonderful. Next, next passage is Psalm 46.10. This space of be still and know that I'm God that we quiet ourselves before the Maker of all things. That there's a humility of like, I'm not as awesome as I think. That we would be still before the living God. And that we would live in the reality that He is God and God alone. In Psalm 42, 1 and 2, it describes this heart as a deer pants for streams of water. So my soul pants for You, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go to meet with You? Where can I go to meet with You? This desire to be in the presence of God. Kind of this analogy of like as a deer runs for a river because it's thirsty on a hot summer's day, such is the heart of the Christ follower. This is the disposition that we have to cultivate for these meaningful encounters with the living God. Psalm 84, 1 and 2, How lovely is Your dwelling place, Lord Almighty! My soul yearns and even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for You, the living God. Jesus in Matthew 6, 33, Seek first the kingdom and His righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Throughout the pages of Scripture, we see this heart on full display in almost every author of the text of Scripture. We see this deep-seated, I want to, I need to have, 
a deep desire to have an encounter with a living God that my soul, that my flesh cry out that I am in need of a word from You this day, that I'm in need of Your healing hand on my life, whether it's my personal life or my relationship life or whether it's whatever it is going on in our life, that there is this deep position of I can't fix, I can't solve, I need You to show up, I need You to speak in my life, and it creates an environment where meaningful worship and encounters with living God begin to unfold in our lives. This heart, this dynamic, we see it in particular stories through the Scripture from cover to cover. I want to draw your attention to a couple of them. There's a story of Elijah who's on Mount Carmel. And Elijah has this like showdown between like his God, the true and living God, and then the gods of Baal. And Elijah kind of sits back and kind of watches these individuals, these other priests of this god Baal, and they are calling for Baal to act and show up. And time passes and time passes and time passes, and the gods of Baal aren't showing up, they're not doing anything, and they begin cutting themselves with knives, and Elijah kind of begins to quietly mock them a little bit, like maybe your god's sleeping, maybe he's on vacation. Like there's this kind of mocking that's there. And then it's kind of that time is over for them, and the text doesn't say it, but Elijah begins to go to work preparing the sacrifice, this altar, where God is hopefully going to show up. And the text doesn't say it this way, but I can't help but think that as Elijah is getting stones, and as Elijah is building this altar, and as Elijah is pouring water over the altar, as he's getting the animal ready, that Elijah is in a full-blown conversation where he is asking and seeking and pleading with the living God to show up in this moment. How embarrassing does it get for Elijah that after all of this work, he's like, all right, God, you can show up, and nothing happens. But if you know the story, I can't help but think it's Elijah with this disposition of, I want to hear from you. And God shows up in this remarkable way with fire from heaven and it consumes the entire altar that Elijah has prepared. There's another story in the New Testament where Peter is in jail because he's telling others about Jesus. And Mary and the house church that they're a part of, they're praying for Peter. And again, I can't help but think that their prayer is this deep-seated, we need to hear from, we want to see, we are asking you to move and act in a mighty, powerful way. And Peter, sound asleep in the prison cell, an angel shows up and says, get up, put your clothes on, follow me. And Peter does that, which would be very weird. And you're following an angel out of the prison. And you find yourself back at Mary's house, and the whole crew are there worshiping and praying expecting and longing to hear from God in this particular way. Paul and Silas, no different. They're in jail. And while in jail, in handcuffs, they are there in song and in prayer, worshiping the living God, and God is present to them and for them and releases them from this moment. We see through the text of Scripture this dynamic that we highlighted through these passages that men and women have this deep desire to hear from and have an encounter with the living God, there is no shortcut for that. There is no manipulating the environment that will facilitate that kind of thing. I have been in incredible environments where I have been led to believe that something spiritual has happened, but it's just nothing more than emotions. Like when Bono walked out onto the stage in Moncton, that was an emotional moment. Like 70,000 people screaming. Like it's an amazing moment. And then it's just gone. The whole thing is like manipulation. Not in a bad way, but it's all part of the show. 
And churches have adopted all of that to make a show in the hopes that meaningful encounters with the living God would begin to unfold. There is no shortcut for this. There's no hack for this. But there are some things that I can purposefully do that create a space where these things are more likely to happen than not happen. I'm going to walk you through this. This is going to be incredibly practical. This is going to sound at times like I'm, like this is my mom kind of like channeling kind of through me to you this morning. But what can I do that creates a space where I might actually hear from God in a powerful and profound way in my life? Well, there's seven of them. We'll go through them very, very quickly. Number one, pray before we arrive. How many of us get up on a Sunday or on a Saturday or on a Friday that have this eager longing to come together to celebrate and worship God? Where we're already asking that on this particular day that I would hear from you in a pointed way. That we are inviting God to open up things that we do not know about life and that He would begin to speak in profound and pointed, powerful ways that our lives would be changed and altered by and through His Spirit for His glory. Do we pray before we arrive? Number two, examine our night before routines. I work on Sundays. I have to be very careful, and if Dana is up here speaking, he would say the same thing. Over the years, I've done a lot of weddings on Saturday. And normally, I will duck out at around 8.30 or 9. It's not because I don't like dancing. I would love to dance with my wife. It's, it's that I understand that Sunday's coming. And I don't want to be out late. I don't want to be tired. I don't want to come in to this environment, to this place, and be exhausted. It's not fair to a you who's coming to hear and listen, and if I'm not at all kind of putting that kind of focus and energy into it, then I'm robbing you of what God would want to say through our time together. But more importantly than that, I too want to hear from God. And I know that if I'm tired, I know that if I'm exhausted, I know that if I'm beat, I'm here, but I'm not really here. If we watch porn or Dexter or How to Make a Murderer for hours in a binge session on Saturday night, what do you think Sunday morning is going to be like? That is going to be the thing that fills your head. That is going to be the image. Those are going to be the thoughts. Examine what you do on a Saturday night. The other thing I would say, even to the things that, that I know that I eat. There was a day in my life where I 18, I could pound back four Whoppers on a Saturday and not even like, I would sleep like a baby, get up, whatever. Now if I were to do that, I feel gross about 10 minutes after the fact. Much of my Saturday night now is under a kind of really regimented routine so that I'm not putting myself at a disadvantage as I come into these types of gatherings at for and with God's people. Number, number four, um, or no, sorry, number three, and this one's going to sting a little bit, particularly if, if you invite friends and they show up early and you're not early. This is arrive on time and a little bit early if possible. Arrive on time and a little bit early if possible. Oh, you don't know what it's like in my house. It's busy. Yes, I do. In fact, if my wife is here, she would say, no, I know exactly what it's like because my husband's not even here. It's just me and four children getting them out of the house. I know that our kids are now at the point where they can brush their own teeth, but there was a day where that wasn't the case. 
Getting ourselves to the place on time is a big one. Getting ourselves ready. And I'll speak to this a little bit further uh, so you're like, oh yeah, that's true. Because every other meaningful gathering of our life, we would not show up late. Like You do not want to be the parent that shows up 30 minutes late to your kid's Christmas concert and their part's already passed. Like We try hard to not show up late for those kinds of moments in our life. And yet for Sunday morning, it's like, oh, it's just songs. It's just announcements. It's just whatever. I'll get there for whatever part you're really looking at or looking forward to. Arrive on time and a little bit early to create spaces for us to be ready for what is going to unfold. Number five, um, and this again, this is more a reflection of me, pray to purge our critical spirit. When I'm on vacation and we go to church and someone else's church, Rule of thumb, when I walk into a church and I have not begun this prayer life in my own life, I'm just critical. They're a terrible preacher. They handled the text wrong. No one welcomed us. Like, I have an eye for the detail because it's hard to remove myself from this role. And when I begin praying that as I go to church in Moncton or in Hillsborough or in New Hampshire, that I would not come in with a critical spirit and that my mind would be open to whatever is going to unfold in the service. That's a big part of it. And I've been doing this long enough with many of you in this room where there's some of you that have to do this. It's like, oh, they didn't sing the songs that I like. Well, we're not sorry. Like, there's this weird space of, like, we have to figure out how to work through the critical spirit that we all walk in. Because we, we ultimately think that these things are for you. This is for the body of believers to come together and celebrate the One who has redeemed us through song, through prayer, through fellowship, through preaching, through all of these kinds of things. And all of these small little habits and patterns that we do, it's effort, I know that, but it all kind of increases likelihood and probability that we're going to have more meaningful, worshipful encounters together. Number six, um, come ready to engage in community. COVID-19 for introverts, this has been like Disneyland for you. Like this is what you've been praying for for a long time. Like it's just you and you don't have to see people. You're just in your jammies. You haven't had a shower in months. Like you have loved this window of time. But there is a part where coming together is a communal experience together. There's times where we will be in song or in the moment of a Sunday morning and you know someone's having a rough moment. That God in that moment is saying something and doing something in their life and it should be normal for us to go and put a hand on the shoulder of said person to say, how can I pray for you? Let's do coffee on Wednesday so we can talk and I can hear what's going on in your life so I can walk with you in life in these beautiful ways. Come ready to engage the community. Be looking around who's new. And make them feel welcome. Because as a church family, we always want to be kind of open to one more person coming in. It's never a closed group. Come ready to engage the community of people. And then seven, the last one is that we sing. We sing. And some of you are like, oh, I can't sing. And like, we know. Like, we've been with you for a long time. However, something magical, something wonderful happens when the body of believers comes together to sing. I remember on September 12th was our first like Monday Night Live that we hadn't gathered to worship as a body in this way in months. 
And I remember that first kind of chord that Dana lead, led in with, and hearing you sing was remarkable. The other day that I'm looking forward to is Sunday, September the 12th, where all of the masks will be gone, all the tables removed, and Lord willing, in both services, you know, 300 plus adults in the sanctuary with hundreds of kids downstairs and throughout the building. I can't wait to hear what it sounds like when God's people sing together. It's not muffled. Because something dynamic begins to unfold as we lift our voices to the one who has redeemed us. And it's beautiful when we sing. And if you literally cannot sing, at least mouth the words. Read the lyrics. Because you're reading often Scripture. And it's going into your heart, it's going into your mind, and worship can, can continue to unfold even in those spaces. In order to make the most out of these encounters, these experiences, there is a lot of effort that we ought to be putting into it. Just imagine the kind of experiences that we would have together if this is what we were practicing. In my life several years ago, I had an opportunity to go to my very first NFL football game. We went to see the Patriots and the Vikings play. And, and what I'm describing here is exactly what I just outlined kind of in those seven things, only it's a football game. So when we got our tickets, the first thing we did, because we don't live in Boston, we don't know where to go, it's like, well, well, how do you get to the stadium? So we figured out like the best traffic and the best route to get to the physical stadium. And we arrived, and we arrived early, really early. We engaged the community. We walked through thousands of people who were tailgating. We ate their food. Like, they didn't know me from Adam. But they're like, here, eat this and drink this. I'm like, I'll eat that, but I'm not going to drink that because I have no idea what's in it. Like, it was just weird. But it was a party, and we loved that experience. We found our seat early. Three people behind us were from New Brunswick. And we're like, yeah, New Brunswick. We're from New Brunswick. And then by the end of the game, we're like, oh, they're from the same province as us. Like, it was just weird watching what unfolded in the game. But it was an amazing experience, the whole thing. And we put a lot of effort into getting the most out of that experience. We talked about it when we got there. We were talking about it after the game was over. There was a lot of effort that went into that, and so it is true of any meaningful gathering in our life. Whether it's our children's this, or this for Amy and I, or a reservation, like we put effort into these things. And in a weird way, we should be putting the same kind of effort into these gatherings that we might have real dynamic experiences with the living God. Because listen, this is going to sound overly mean, and it's not supposed to be, but it's like, what do we expect if we're up super late, eat four Whoppers, get up early, show up late to service, leave before the amen's over, and then have the ability to be critical of what unfolded. As though somehow that's not on us. As though somehow I didn't play a role in how much of a train wreck that time was as I gathered with God's people. Several years ago, I was with a group of pastor friends of mine, and they were sharing this story where there was a, a pastor from Central Asia who was a part of the underground church and they brought him over to speak to pastors and teachers and leaders in a bunch of U.S. churches. And they brought him over to hear what God was doing in the underground church in China. And 
as the week unfolded, they kind of toured him around and he saw a lot of U.S. churches, a lot of big kind of spaces. And after the week was all over, um, they were just kind of asking him questions about, like, what did you think and how was your week and uh, all these kinds of things. And in a very kind, humble way, uh, the gentleman looked at these pastoral colleagues of his and he says, it's amazing to me what you're able to do without any help of the Holy Spirit. It's amazing to me what you're able to create without any help from God himself. We have let, at times, and can let, at times, this culture of hack bleed into our worship. That I I want this encounter, I want these experiences, I want these moments, but I don't want to do any of the work, I don't want to do any of the effort, I don't want to do any of the things that create an environment where my heart is ready to hear from God. That we would call out to Him. That we would cry out for Him. That He would speak to us and reveal things that we do not know. And for many of us, as we go about life, listen, these are real things. I know some of you right now are working through occupation conversations. You're working through relationship with your spouse or with your children or with someone in your life. You're trying to sort out next steps in your life. And as a Christ follower, we take our lead from the living God who directs our life. And there is real effort that we can put in to creating spaces where my heart is quiet, where my heart is ready, where my life is open to what God would say to me. And that often happens in corporate gatherings. It's curious when you get into the text of Scripture, you see God move often in these places. I know God is more than capable of speaking to me alone on Brackley Beach as I walk and pray. I know that. That's a, that's a whole other conversation that's coming in this series. So like, wait till that. But I'm talking about these gatherings, these kinds of expressions where God's people gather in spaces like this to worship and celebrate. We cannot be a people that seek the hack. We cannot be a people that seek the shortcut. Because when we do, our spiritual lives will forever be frustrated. Our relationships will always be thin. And our missional engagement will always be lethargic and lazy. If we're not going to put effort into these things, you are basically declaring that your spiritual life is going to be a space of frustration forever. That the relationships that you walk in will forever be thin and surface level. And you're never really going to engage the mission that we have invited into by Jesus Himself. To go into all the world and to tell others about who I am. But if we do this right, if we do this well, it's amazing. Jesus speaks to this moment. And it's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. And it's here on the screen, and you can read with me. He says this, Let your light shine before others. So you can read in here, gathering together for worship is a way that we let our light shine before others. There's hundreds of things that would fit into this category. We let our light shine before others so that others would see good deeds, and glorify our Father in Heaven. God's people have always been a peculiar people. We've always been a peculiar people. And it's that peculiarity 
that invites incredible questions from people who don't know God. Why do you do this? Why does your life seem to be filled with joy and contentment? Why is it there's a spirit of, of, of life and happiness and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control? Why are these qualities and characters of your life, where does this come from? It comes from encounters with the living God who has shaped our life, that has redeemed our soul. And we walk in spaces of grace and freedom knowing that sin has been forgiven. That we are slowly being transformed by God, through God, for His glory each and every day. We can't be a church that just settles for hacks, that settles for simple, kind of let's just do this, try to manipulate these things, because it doesn't work this way. It doesn't work this way. Let us be a people that forever put some effort into this. I'm going to invite John and team back, and we're going to sing, and we're going to worship. We're going to do a couple songs, and, and I would invite you to, in this moment, just take some time right now as we move into this space, that you would ask God to speak to you, that He would say something into your life, that you would hear from Him in a very personal in profound and powerful way.